0: And welcome to the Dance Edit Podcast. I'm Margaret Fuhrer. And I'm Amy Brandt. We are editors at Dance Media back together again for the first time in 2023. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Today we'll start with a headline rundown featuring several weeks' worth of dance news from Dance Magazine's Big 25 to Watch list to the new Broadway labor deal to yet more dance world leadership changes. And then we'll have a deeper dive discussion on one of the biggest recent news stories, which is choreographer Alexei Ratmansky's move from American ballet theater to New York City ballet. A lot of people have had a variety of thoughts about that development and what it portends for the ballet world. And I know we do too. So we'll get into that. Before we begin, though, here's a little teaser for our next interview episode, which will air a week from today. It features the ballet star Natalia Asapova, who was, and I was not expecting this really, just a wide open book. During our conversation, we talked about everything from her thoughts on the invasion of Ukraine and the role of the artist during a time of war to that Video that's gone viral on TikTok showing like the hole she cut out of the box of her point <laughs> shoe to accommodate her pinky bunion. We really we went there, um, so make sure you don't miss this one. Again, it'll be out next Thursday, January nineteenth. I can't wait to listen to that. It's it's uh, fun and thoughtful, and yeah, she is as ever just a fascinating character.
1: Um, okay, now it's time for our list of headlines. Let's get right into it. Dance Magazine has announced their 2023 25-to-watch list. The 98-year-old publication released its annual list of rising dance talent last month, and they include some pretty exciting young names, including cover girl Dondara Vega from Ballet Hispanico, um, some other artists included in the list are Pacific Northwest Ballet Dancer Ashton Edwards, Ishida Dance Company, which is based in Texas, Tapper Amanda Castro, uh, choreographer Vidya Patel, and so many more. So if you haven't already, go and check out this list of rising stars. They have very exciting careers in the works. Yeah, as always, just yeah, a fantastic
0: list. We, of course, have that linked for you in the show notes. Here is an update on a story that still feels surreal. Uh, it's been almost a month now since the death of dance star Steven Twitch Boss at age 40, which rocked the dance world. Uh, so many different corners of it, his reach and his influence were so enormous. Last week, Boss was laid to rest at a small family funeral and a larger ceremony for friends and other loved ones will reportedly be held at a later date. So we'll let you know more details about that
1: as we hear them. Another young voice we've just lost is 32-year-old Stephanie Bissonette. The dancer, teacher, and choreographer died in December. Bissonette starred as Dawn Schweitzer in the Broadway production of Mean Girls and is also featured in the documentary Ensemble about the struggles of Broadway dancers during the COVID-19 shutdown. She was also a very popular teacher at Broadway Dance Center. Um, a Cause of Death hasn't been officially released, but she did suffer from a rare form of brain cancer and documented that pretty publicly on her social media. So another very sad loss. I got to know
0: Stephanie a little bit when she was part of Dance Spirit's Mean Girls cover back in in 2018. And then she was generous enough to share the the story of her cancer diagnosis with the magazine in 2020. She was such an extraordinary talent. It's been a really hard month for the dance community.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, I wish I could say we're moving on to happier news now, but not quite. A theater in Milan recently canceled a series of performances by ballet dancer Sergei Polunin following online protests centered around Palunin's support of Vladimir Putin. Polunin was supposed to perform at the Archimboldi Theater on January 28th and 29th. The theater said the cancellation was an act of, quote, political and moral responsibility, end quote.
1: The Royal New Zealand Ballet has announced that artistic director Patricia Barker will be retiring from the company in March. The former Pacific Northwest Ballet principal ballerina will be returning to the United States to take on a variety of roles, including on the board of Seattle based Wim Wim Contemporary Dance Company. Barker, who previously led Grand Rapids Ballet, took the helm of Royal New Zealand Ballet in 2017 and is credited with increasing commissions from New Zealand based choreographers. It has not been the easiest run for her, I have to say. There was COVID-19, of course, but also her husband, Michael Auer, who was a ballet master at the company, was recently accused of inappropriate behavior um, and fired from the company, which prompted calls for Barker's resignation. She will uh, have her final performance in March. Uh, Former Australian ballet artistic director David McAllister is stepping in to lead the company in the interim as they look for a new leader.
0: Yeah, a lot of turmoil at Royal New Zealand Ballet right now. We have a link in the show notes that gets into the context behind those musical chairs happening. And we have another leadership change to report. David Binder, who has been artistic director of the Brooklyn Academy of Music since 2019, will step down in July. That is a remarkably short tenure Uh, His two predecessors stayed for 35 and 32 years, and it also follows the 2021 exit of the organization's president, Katie Clark, who spent just five years in that post. So the upheaval continues.
1: In other news, a new Broadway labor agreement ratified by Actors' Equity will offer pay increases, paid sick leave, and, according to the New York Times, allow producers to make short-term hires to cover absent actors. This last point of negotiation is obviously a product of the pandemic, as shows have become increasingly dependent on swings and understudies and other replacements to cover sick cast members. The contract caps the number of roles a swing can cover um, in one performance, but in a concession from equity, to producers also allows for shows to hire actors for short contracts to cover cast member absences. Uh
0: Here's yet more news of big organizational change. Dance NYC announced that it is developing a new leadership structure that will be more democratic and collectively driven. The first step in that process is Executive Director Alejandra Duque-Safuentes shifting into a new role as the organization's strategy and research consultant an interim leadership team of four women will oversee Dance MIC's work while the institution's board simultaneously establishes a committee to come up with a new longer-term leadership model. And we're seeing more and more of this kind of equity-oriented restructuring in the dance world. Last year Hope More Dance mm-hmm. became Bridge Live Arts, for example, reflecting its ongoing equity efforts. Gibney recently went through a similar transformation. I- I'm eager to see how this type of thinking might ripple out through the dance world and and beyond the dance world too.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's been such a different power dynamic in the dance industry for so, so long. In honor of its 10th anniversary, Arts Desk has named its Arts Desk 100 a group of exciting early career artists leading new frontiers in art and performance. And they include lots of folks from the dance world, yay, um, including Kyle Abraham, ABT's Aaron Bell, Rena Butler, Raja Feather Kelly, Giovanni Ferlin, Melissa Togood, quite quite a number of dancers, I have to say. So uh, thank you, Arts Desk, for acknowledging the dance industry in your top 100, and congratulations to all of them. Yes, and we've got that whole list in the show notes,
0: too. Well, it is the end of a very specific era. The controversial television personality, Abby Lee Miller, has sold the Pennsylvania dance studio that was home to the, to the TV show Dance Moms. Miller and her Abby Lee dance company appeared on the Lifetime show, which was filmed primarily in that studio space, for seven seasons from 2011 to 2017. So, um, goodbye to all that.
1: The new Noah Baumbach movie, White Noise has an unexpected surprise as the credits roll, a big madcap dance number choreographed by David Newman. Um, If you haven't seen it yet, please go check it out. It takes place in a supermarket, as it does at the end of the book, White Noise, by Don DeLillo, uh, which the movie is adapted from. The movie itself is a dark comedy on death and how we distract our fear of mortality through consumerism and entertainment and drugs and all of that. In the LA Times, Bomback said, quote, I suppose one way of looking at the end of the book and of the movie is that we're all just shopping until it's over and we die. It's a dance of life, which is also a dance of death. We like to think of them as separate, but they're not. They're the same. End quote. Anyway, go check it out. Newman did a fantastic job, and apparently uh, they looked at death dances from around the world for inspiration in creating this.
0: My husband and I just watched that movie, hoping it would be like a nice middle ground between his preference for thrillers and my preference for art house stuff. <laughs> and it's kind of the movie itself is sort of a, a hot mess. But um, the dance is just fantastic. It's like weird and poignant and like yeah. really funny, really funny in that that way that David Newman is so good at, at doing.
1: And I think you can just watch the dance in its entirety. You don't have actually have to watch the whole movie if you don't want to. Have, there's there's video footage, there's behind yep. the scenes, breakdowns and everything um, that you can find on YouTube. So
0: There's all kinds of stuff on YouTube. We've got that in the show notes too. All right. That is the end of our headline rundown this episode. Um, But don't forget to check out the Dance Media Events Calendar too, because it has lots more information about all kinds of dance world events, particularly auditions, which we don't cover here on the podcast. So to see the full list and add your own events to it, head to dancemediacalendar.com. Okay. Okay. Now it is time to talk Ratmansky, as many people have been doing for the past few weeks. Back at the end of December, news broke that choreographer Alexei Ratmansky, who had been American Ballet Theatre's Artist-in-Residence since 2009, would be leaving ABT in June. Then last week, the Other shoe dropped. New York City Ballet announced that Ratmansky would become its artist in residence beginning in August. He will create at least one work a year for City Ballet under a five year contract. And Ratmansky, of course, has a long standing relationship with City Ballet, for which he's made six works since 2006. So reactions to this transition were large. Um, there's pretty broad consensus on Ratmansky's status as either the most exciting choreographer or one of the most exciting choreographers working in ballet today. So some people celebrated this news as like a coup for city ballet, um, which a lot of ballet folks see as a more natural artistic home for Ratmansky. And then others pointed out that he said some not so great things about gender in ballet and about women's bodies and wondered aloud whether he's the person we want for this kind of creative leadership position. So We want to kind of get into all of that. How might this change, which will be felt deeply at two of ballet's largest and most influential companies, how will that affect the ballet world more broadly? And what does it reveal about shifting or not shifting values at ABT and City Ballet and in ballet as a whole?
1: You know, the first thing I thought of when I heard the news that he was leaving ABT was I, you know, I really wondered, will he stay in the United States or will he go back to Europe um, and and be just kind of a free agent, but the fact that he's continuing to make the U- United States his creative home, what really interests me about that is sort of like what does this mean for American ballet long term? You know, we have now two mm-hmm. of our country's biggest major ballet companies steeped and fluent in Ratmansky's style of mu- of movement. Which is sort of unusual, you know, I mean, ABT has always been the classical war horse company, New York City Ballet is the House of Balanchine, and Ratmansky kind of brings the two together in an interesting way. And all of these dancers, these top level dancers are going to carry that with them when they go out into the dance world, after their dance careers are, are over, there will be this kind of influential diaspora, I guess. Mm hmm. So I'm really curious to see sort of like the long-term influence of Ratmansky working at these two companies and what that will look like in like 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. That's kind of what interests me the most about this move. The fact that he's staying here and is going to have a catalog of work in in our two biggest companies.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there's something interesting happening here. A lot of people for a long time have thought of ABT as less progressive, more oriented toward the past, and of City Ballet Mm -hmm. as more progressive, more forward thinking. Um, And I mean that both artistically in terms of like repertory and commissions and in terms of the cultures of these organizations too. Um, And like City Ballet in the past few years, especially since the ousting of Peter Martins, I think has actively tried to cultivate a more progressive culture but now we see Susan Jaffe coming into ABT, and it does feel like a let's shake off the cobwebs moment, both artistically and culturally, like her vision, as she has talked about mm-hmm. publicly, I mean, on this podcast is is quite progressive on both fronts. And I don't mean to imply that I know anything about the backstory of Ratmansky's departure from that company, whether or not he was not asked to renew his contract, or whether he chose to leave, I don't know. But the fact that an established white male choreographer is leaving this big post in a way that might make room for some different types of creative voices at ABT, mm-hmm. something that Susan has said she wants to do. That's interesting and exciting. And then artistically speaking, on the city ballet side of things, I know I'm I'm not alone in thinking that Ratmanski has made a lot of his most interesting and most innovative work on city ballet dancers. They seem to inspire a different kind of creativity in him. Um, Like the whole idea of music first, it all comes from the music, their priorities are aligned that way. And I would happily watch concerto DSCH or pictures at an exhibition like every night for the next 20 years. I just think those ballets are magnificent. Mm -hmm. Then on the other hand, though, it's complicated. I mean, many of the city ballet dancers did celebrate the announcement. They said they loved working with Ratmansky, but not all of them. Ashley Bowder recently said on the Instagram account, Dancers and Motherhood, that Ratmansky criticized her body when she returned to the studio after having a baby. And then there's his old 2017 Facebook post about how when it comes to gender roles, quote, there is no equality in ballet, unquote. That still really rankles. Mm-hmm. I, I- I think what it comes down to is that Ratmanski is essentially a conservative figure in ballet. He loves ballet's past. He loves tradition. He spent years reconstructing 100-plus-year-old ballets, for goodness sake. That conservative streak in him, I do wonder how it will affect City Ballet's dancers and the overall environment at the company, which then, as you've said, Amy will, yeah, will trickle out through the City Ballet diaspora, as it already is trickling out now through the ABT diaspora.
1: Yeah. And at City Ballet, too, you know, there is also this uh, another choreographer choreographic presence there. There's Justin Peck, um, mm-hmm. who is younger and does kind of have a more progressive slant on things. You know, I, I as mm-hmm. far as um, creating gender neutral roles in his ballets and and all of that. Yeah, It is it is interesting that
0: we haven't heard any quotes from Justin About this new appointment, like anywhere, or he hasn't posted on his social accounts. I'm I'm curious too as to how he feels about all of this.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: One thing I will say is that, and this is in the ballet world in particular, much of the art that I love most, the art that like gets me to the theater, is made by exactly the type of people we don't need to be helping right now, like well-established older white men, and. (laughs) Often the artists who do need support, who have really inspiring and forward-thinking ideas about how ballet can reflect a 21st century world, their art itself hasn't quite gelled yet, which doesn't speak to their talent, I don't think. It just speaks to the fact that they've been denied opportunities over and over again, and the ballet world is only just beginning to open itself to their ideas and perspectives.
1: Right, And I could see how some people may see this as a missed opportunity, you know, to bring a woman or a person of color into a position Mm -hmm. this large you know a missed opportunity for city ballet but i also can see where new york city ballet is coming from they want to hang on to this choreographic voice and you know
0: i mean i guess maybe the optimistic spin on this is that hopefully these kinds of decisions will get easier with time as ballet companies do devote more resources to cultivating like the next generation of choreographic talent and diverse voices within that pool of talent mm-hmm. it, w- it won't be like do we choose the artist or the art you know right in the, in the way that it often feels right now
1: in in some ways too i see you know in in some of the coverage on Rotmansky's decision you know the the word that gets you know he has a little more freedom like artistic freedom at city ballet you know he's got one ballet a year and i don't know what the terms were for his contract at american ballet theater but also you know at abt susan jaffe now has more freedom if you will to Mm -hmm. kind of put her own stamp on things to start with a clean slate like her next season next year will be she'll kind of be free to to explore a little bit more as far as choreographers she can bring in yeah so I don't sort of know more,
0: more room for experimentation on both sides mm-hmm. of
1: the Lincoln Center Plaza <laughs> and no artist wants to get s- too comfortable I think he he made a, a point about you know feel, starting to feel comfortable and knowing the dancers too well and, and all of that you know I think that it is important to kind of switch things up yeah at a certain
0: point we have some additional reading about Ratmansky's big move linked for in the show notes obviously lots of thoughts lots of feelings about it happening all right that's it for us this week thanks everyone for joining we'll be back in two weeks for more discussion of the news that's moving the dance world and don't miss natalia asapova's interview next week in the meantime keep learning keep advocating and keep dancing bye everyone The Dance Edit Podcast is a product of Dance Media, publisher of Dance Magazine, Dance Spirit, Point, Dance Teacher, Dance Business Weekly, and the Dance Edit Newsletter. Our hosts are Amy Brandt, Courtney Escoyne, Margaret Fuhrer, and Lydia Murray. Our music is by Celestine, with special thanks to Broadway Dance Center for helping us record those footfall sounds. Find out more about the Dance Edit and subscribe to our daily newsletter at thedanceedit.com.